0: hey everybody welcome back this is the anxious mammal so last time we talked about the threat response in the mind so how anxiety gets started beginning in the brain and today we're gonna to follow up with how anxiety is activated and responds in the body anxiety trauma similar things is a mind-body experience so starts in the mind ends up in the body and they both work off each other So we're gonna go ahead and talk about that today so you can get a really good full understanding of the experience of anxiety and a little bit of a foundation to help you understand some of the ways that you can best manage it. So stick around. Okay, so We're not gonna go over everything from the first one because that's all available in the last episode. So you can just listen to episode two and that'll talk about the beginning of anxiety in the mind. But just real quickly, in the limbic system, you have the amygdala and its basic and only job is actually to scan information to determine, is it a threat or not? And if it determines it's a threat, it triggers the hypothalamus and some other parts of the brain to release various chemicals, hormones, and these are the beginning of anxiety. This information travels down the brainstem and into the body. So what happens is the body's flooded with various chemicals and hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, noradrenaline, norepinephrine. And one of the issues with these is that they're catabolic, which means that they can break down the muscle tissue in the body. So long durations of stress, anxiety, those are not good for the body physically because they deteriorate muscle mass and they can also just break down other parts of the body. So that's why the more stressed somebody is, they usually will have a shorter lifespan overall. Adrenaline is released by the adrenal glands, and this is to heighten our abilities and speed up our survival functions. So adrenaline is basically something that gets us as close to being a superhero as we can. So you hear those crazy stories, you know, about the mom lifting the car up to pull the kid out, and that's because of adrenaline. It maximizes our abilities as a human being. Cortisol is also released. This is a steroid, and it helps maintain blood pressure and fluid balance in the body, and what happens is This is a little more advanced than you even need to really know, but just so you're aware of it. Basically, the amygdala triggers the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus releases a hormone called CRH. This triggers the pituitary gland to release the hormone ACTH, and this triggers cortisol release. So it's actually a pretty lengthy process just to have cortisol released into the body. But the other hormones are doing things that are important too for fight-or-flight operation. Cortisol can also help with the management of pain but also there's other chemicals that are released that help with pain management as well when you're in a fight-or-flight experience norepinephrine is similar to adrenaline it also comes from the adrenal glands i had mentioned that one as one of them too and norepinephrine is just kind of a backup for adrenaline so it's just to make sure that we really get all of our senses and abilities heightened in those survival situations now this all happens during a perceived threat also so if there's I always use the same analogy, but if there's a lion in front of you, this all happens. And if you believe that there's a lion in front of you, this all happens. It doesn't actually have to exist. So next, a lot of the operations shut down because blood, resources, energy, it's all redirected to vital operations for survival. So the blood flow to the stomach, the sexual organs, those kinds of things, it's all redirected to more vital operations like muscles and things. because you don't need to worry about digesting food or you know having sex any of that stuff when you're in fight or flight mode that's not important and this is why a lot of people with anxiety can experience stomach issues GERD ulcers and also erectile dysfunction they can have issues with their libido and with their sexual performance and it's actually anxiety based it's because there's not enough blood flow getting to that area due to the anxiety that they're experiencing when you have repeated regular exposure to anxiety another issue that's body-based, it greatly increases the chances of developing heart disease, obesity, mental illness, diabetes, it impacts your sleep, your mental clarity, energy levels during the day. I mean, it just eradicates so many operations that are vital to daily operation. And, And it's because the nervous system goes into battle mode. That's basically what's going on. It's in battle stations mode, which means it's all about survival. And so it's just pumping your body full of these chemicals that help you survive, but they're only meant for short bursts. I like to share a quick little analogy with people when I work with them. Terribly, horribly awesome movie, Fast and Furious. Well, the first one, then they got really, really ridiculous. But anyways, in that movie, they're racing in the beginning and I think it's ludicrous who uh, hits the NOS and jumps the bridge gap. That's kind of what anxiety, fight or flight mode is. Your body's basically dumping NOS into your, your system. And that's okay for short bursts, but if you keep dumping that into the engine, the engine's gonna blow. And that's the same with your body. If you keep pumping all this stuff into your body, for long periods of time, you're breaking down your body. So the mileage is gonna be a lot lower in your body. You're gonna run out of, you know, from wear and tear, you're gonna run out of time quicker. So that's why it's so important to manage anxiety and stress. So let's talk about exactly what happens in the body when you do experience anxiety. Cognition can become very difficult. You can feel a lot of pressure in the head or even get headaches. This has a lot to do with blood flow increasing. You're getting a lot of blood redirected to the brain. Your heart begins to pump really fast, pumps harder. This is for a couple reasons. One is because, partly because the adrenaline is speeding it up. Also, your heart is working very hard to redirect blood as quickly as possible from non-vital organs and operations to muscles for explosive energy for fight or flight and other vital parts of the body for survival. Also, your blood vessels constrict, so they get smaller. That means your heart's essentially having to push blood through smaller tunnels. So that's gonna increase how much effort it has to also put out. Your digestive system halts, and this is because the blood from the digestive system is redirected to more vital operations. So you stop digesting food. Again, this is why a lot of people with anxiety tend to have stomach issues. Your vision, your focus, you get tunnel vision. So your peripherals basically get ignored. And this is because uh, as a survival instinct, we are targeting what's in front of us, the threat in front of us, so that lion. So we're not worried about everything else in the environment, we're worried about the threat that's right in front of us immediately. Your muscles become tense, sore, warm. They can become heated because of the blood flow change. You can also feel cold in some of your extremities, especially. And this is because you have rapid blood redirection. So the temperature change can be feel drastic in the hands once the blood is moved so quickly. Muscles become tense because they're getting loaded with energy, oxygen, blood, all that good stuff for explosive energy, right, for fight or flight. Your lungs start to work harder, faster. Your breath is more shallow. This is because your body's trying to pull in oxygen desperately as fast as possible because oxygen is the fuel to move the blood throughout the body and to energize the muscles in the body for explosive energy to fight or flight. So all these things that you experience that feel very, very uncomfortable, they're actually supposed to happen. They make sense if there's actually a lion in front of you or a person with a gun. But if you go out to your car and your car doesn't start, and you're going to be late for work and you're afraid you're going to get fired, that's not a threat to your life. It's a threat to your social life. I get that it'll make your life difficult, but it's not gonna kill you physically. It's not gonna make you die. So having your heart pump harder, your digestive system stop, tunnel vision, sore muscles, lungs breathing harder, those actually are counterintuitive to what you need in that moment. Because another thing that happens, which we discussed earlier in the brain, is that the emotional part of the brain, the mammal part in the middle takes over, which means the frontal lobe, which is the logic and foresight, that kind of gets overshadowed or shut down. So your logic is very weak in the moment of anxiety. So it's hard for you to think of a logical way to deal with the situation you're in, like thinking like, okay, I need to call. Who can I call? I'll call a friend or I'm going to call my boss and let them know. At least they know I'm going to be late. I'm going to call an Uber or Lyft or taxi. Those are what you need to be doing to solve that social situation. But your brain and your body are reacting as though it's a life threat situation, which is false. It's a false perception. It's a mistake. It's something that we have to correct actively as human beings because we have evolved this social creatures, the issues that we face in society can be confusing to our brain and conflict with our evolutionary drive to survive as mammals, basic creatures. So I want to visit something here briefly, and, and I'll probably do an, uh, another podcast on this particular topic, but I do want to mention the vagus nerve because it is very heavily involved, if not the main operation in the fight or flight response when we're talking about the calming experience okay bringing you back down regulating your body back down to normal breathing normal heart rate etc so the vagus nerve aka the wandering nerve vagus comes from latin word for vagrant so wandering that's where it comes from it's a cranial nerve so that means it just starts in the cranium in the brain area and it wanders all the way throughout the body it goes from your cranium to your ear your throat your tongue your larynx, pharynx, heart, lungs, kidney, liver, uh, small intestine, large intestine, stomach. And so it is vital in the operation of all of those things. Not completely in control, but it's very vital. And it is the nervous system piece that calms you and regulates you, causes your digestive to turn back on, slows down your heart rate, slows down your breathing, and and triggers the redistribution of your blood throughout your body. So there's 12 cranial nerves in your body. Vagus nerve is the longest. It actually runs on both sides of your body, but when people talk about accessing and stimulating the vagus nerve, which we will do at another time, you're going to see them focus on the left side. And this is because the areas that you can access the vagus nerve externally, on the left and right side you can access it, but on the right side there's also some interaction with some nervous system and some operation things that are involved with the heart. So we tend to use the left side when we're trying to stimulate the vagus nerve externally with electromagnetic pulses and things like that which again i'm going to explain to you there's two main components okay you have somatic and visceral so the, the somatic sensory functions um, this is somatic information that you get from parts of the throat the ears areas where the vagus nerve is connected the visceral information is for the larynx the esophagus lungs the heart the digestive tract And there's also a small role in the sensation of taste with the vagus nerve uh, just near the roof of the mouth and parts of your tongue. And there's some stories that you can look into about how people have had dental operations and then they had anxiety issues after. And it was was discovered that the vagus nerve had been damaged during the operation. And once that was taken care of, the, the anxiety faded, which is pretty crazy for motor functions it's it stimulates the muscles in your throat pharynx and larynx and parts of the roof of your mouth stimulates the muscles in your heart helps to lower your resting heart rate so that's what controls kind of your resting heart rate so that's why it's very important because resting heart rate and heart variability those are measurements that have very close connections to health and longevity in your life it also stimulates the digestive tract and the stomach so it can turn on the digestion system start the small and large intestines to operate again so that everything's working good down there so you don't get stomach issues and heartburn and GERD and all those things if the vagus nerve is damaged or dysregulated it can lead to heartburn constipation fatigue muscle weakness muscle pain and severe anxiety and panic attacks so it is not a nervous system that needs to be ignored it must be taken care of and it has not been spoken about enough in mental health and medical at least not broadly enough and as transparently as it needs to be so there's something that can happen when the vagus nerve is so overwhelmed or damaged it's called vasovagal syncope. this is when someone will actually faint because the vagus nerve is overreacting so much to a stimulus that's in the environment so you can get so anxious or so panicked that you can faint now i want to be clear panic attacks anxiety attacks will not kill you they never have unless you have a severe heart condition or something that it can just trigger that to cause harm or death. But panic attacks and anxiety attacks themselves, you will always come out of it, you will never die. If you're somebody who deals with those, that's something that I'm telling you that you can can remember that when you have them, it will pass, you will not die, it just feels like it because your body and your mind are confused and dysregulated, but you will survive and it will pass. The vagus nerve is responsible for managing what's called our parasympathetic nervous system. This is our calming system. Two of the main things that you want to know about the nervous system is you have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. The easiest way that I ever remembered these, the differences between the two is that parasympathetic is the cold or calm system, and sympathetic is the hot system. So parasympathetic is a longer word, calm and cold, that's a longer word than hot, so hot is the sympathetic, which is a shorter word. It, just little tricks that I use to try and remember because parasympathetic and sympathetic are so closely similar that I have to make up these little things in my brain to remember. It, it helps to lower the blood pressure. It helps to slow the heart rate. It helps decrease feelings of anxiety. So activating the parasympathetic nervous system or the vagus nerve, which you can do through numerous techniques, and we will talk about those probably in a in a, in a separate podcast where I will talk about these different techniques to manage anxiety where the whole thing will be about techniques but you can directly access and activate the parasympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve to trigger your nervous system to physically shift back towards the sympathetic side of the spectrum of the nervous system, which will then trigger the vagus nerve, which will then trigger the body to start calming, which will then send signals up the spine through the brainstem to the brain, telling the brain like, hey, we're good, you're wrong, we can calm. So the body and mind communicate both ways. So the mind might start anxiety and trigger the body, But you can go through the body to calm anxiety and trigger the mind. And there's a couple other things you can do to really solidify that process of decreasing the anxiety. There's actually four basic steps, which there is a blog post on the website that talks about it. But I'm going to do a podcast that also goes over that soon. So don't worry. So let's talk about ways that you can actually what's called tune the vagal tone. And that means basically doing things to heal or improve the health of your vagus nerve. Foods. Fermented foods like yogurt, Greek yogurt, high fiber foods, magnesium, sodium, and omega-3s have all been known to somewhat influence the vagal tone. Also, one that I use is kombucha, kombucha tea. Many of you have probably seen it in the store. There's actually a really easy way to make it yourself where it's very cheap. You literally just need a bag of sugar and some tea bags or loose leaf tea. And it takes about 10 minutes a month to make a big batch um, that lasts you the month. But maybe I'll talk about that another time. But um, anyways, just fermented foods, cheeses, yogurts, kombucha teas, and then those certain, you know, vitamins and minerals and things, magnesium, sodium, and omega-3s. Also vocal exercises, so vibrations to the throat. So singing, chanting, yelling, grunting, or like if you're in the car and you're listening to the radio, just sing along while you're riding in the car on the way to work by yourself. If you're brushing your teeth, gargle afterwards. Those are all things that stimulate the vagus nerve because they run. It runs through the larynx and the pharynx. Cold exposure. So you've. Some of you might have seen those cryogenic things that they have now, where you get into this like little room, your head sticking out, and they basically freeze your body except for your head. That's stimul. The reason why those help with with controlling anxiety in the nervous system and health is because they're stimulating the vagus nerve. So you don't have to do that, but you can do something as simple as. You know, what I do in the morning is after I take a shower, I just turn the shower to as cold as it will go for about 30 to 60 seconds and just kind of stand under it. You can dip your face into a bowl of ice-cold water. That also helps if you're having an anxiety or panic attack. This stuff activates the parasympathetic nervous system. It activates the vagus nerve. So that is improving your vagal tone, improving your vagus nerve health. You can also go to the chiropractor or get a massage. Those release pinched nerves, tension, which can be an inflammation, which can be influencing and pressuring on the vagus nerve. So that can help. And I think you always hear this one for everything, but yoga and stretching. Yoga and stretching opens the body. It decreases tension. And if it's something you believe in, which I do because it's it's a thing and there's actually evidence, but energy flow, chi, I think yoga is also a great way for anxiety because you practice holding uncomfortable positions while focusing on continuing to remain and breathe calm. So it teaches you to remain and breathe calm in difficult situations in your life. So yoga is not just about exercise and stretching. Yoga is supposed to have this component of mindfulness and seeing that you can deal with difficult situations, yet remain calm. So with the vagus nerve, there's something called the polyvagal theory. And what this talks about, I'm not going to go into this in detail here. We'll probably do a podcast on that separately another time but there's three main concepts here that I want to talk about with the polybagel theory. And this is first there's co-regulation. This is a biological imperative. So our autonomic nervous system is always searching for signs of safety or danger. And our evolutionary drive to survive conflicts with our human need to connect with others. When you interact with another human being in a way that you find interesting or physically, That's the only way that you can trigger your body to release oxytocin. Oxytocin is that thing that kind of gives you the warm and fuzzy feeling. There's no other way to trigger it except for interaction with other humans. So, I mean, that was put into our system to make us go after, seek, connect social connection. But our evolutionary drive tells us to avoid and fear things that we do not know, like strangers. So you can see the conflict there of he's a stranger. I need to stay away from him, but I also want to talk to him. And so there's this conflict that happens in us. That's that co-regulation. If we can co-regulate those two needs, then we can seek new possibilities, new connections with people. If we can't, we increase our reactivity to those people, our negative habits of isolation and avoidance. The next concept is neuroception. And so this is what's known as detection without awareness. So the autonomic nervous system can actually take in information, our body without the brain. We can have our autonomic nervous system have this sense of, am I safe or am I in danger? This is what most people would think of as the gut feeling. Like I just have this gut feeling. That's a real thing. You have neuroception. Your body is telling you before your mind even knows that there is something going on that may be off or worrisome. The last thing is just the last concept of the polyvagal theory. I want to mention is just discussing the hierarchy. So there's predictable response pathways that we experience in anxiety. So polyvagal theory believes that we have the ventral vagal system, which is the part of the parasympathetic nervous system. Remember, parasympathetic is the longer word. So that's our colder, calm system. So the ventral vagal system when activated, this is where we feel safety. Social connection is available. Our body and mind are balanced and regulated then if we're stimulated we move into the sympathetic nervous system so remember that's the shorter so that's the hot system and this is where fight or flight is activated now one thing that's not talked about a lot that people don't hear they hear about fight or flight and, but they don't get to get too much information about the freeze response because it's actually fight is or fight flight or freeze so what happens is if you get past fight or flight where your body and your mind believes i can't escape and i can't fight this off you move all the way back over into the parasympathetic nervous system, calm system. But the problem is it be, there's something called the dorsal vagal. So it becomes so overactive that the hind brain, the amphibian brain triggers an evolutionary survival response of freeze or play dead. This is to conserve energy and to provide an opportunity of escape. So if you see, the coyote carrying the bunny and the bunny's hanging limp, the bunny may still be alive and it's playing dead as the freeze response, because the basic part of the brain triggered that as a survival last ditch effort. So, but, and the reason why is the coyote might place the rabbit down, and then that gives the rabbit a chance. It can jump up, shake it off and run away. So it's the very last chance that we have at survival, and it's just a basic evolutionary response that's in our hind brain. So you go from the ventral vagal where you're calm to the sympathetic nervous system where you're fight or flight. And if you get over responsive, where you can't fight or flight, you go back over to the parasympathetic nervous system to the dorsal vagal, and you are in the freeze play dead response. And this is a concept of human versus animal. We are mammals, human um, animals, mammals, and we're humans, social creatures. And there's a conflict between the need for social connection and the need to avoid unknown danger And that is one of the biggest drives for anxiety across the board for our humanity. So if you want to learn more about polyvagal theory, you want to look at Stephen Porges, um, P-O-R-G-E-S. His son also has a TED Talk. I forget what it's called, but um, I forgot his son's name, but it's Porges as well. But you can just look up Porges on TED Talk and look up polyvagal, which is P-O-L-Y-V-A-G-A-L. So Polyvagal Theory is the one that discusses that. And then the other book that I used for this uh, specific podcast, which I use in every one probably, is Bessel van der Kolk, K-O-L-K. And he has a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it is kind of one of the seminal books of trauma um, in, in our modern times and modern understanding. All right, so my usual, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or want to swear at me, then go to www.theanxiousmammal.com. You can look under About Me, and there is a contact section there where you can write whatever your heart desires, and I will respond. Um, any questions, any comments, any feedbacks, if I said something that you think is BS, then please tell me, call me out, because I need to know. Um, I don't want to you know, disseminate incorrect information. So let me know if I made a mistake. Let me know if you have any questions, if you need some clarity. And I hope you join us for episode four next time. I do not know what it will be about, but I promise I will make it interesting. So hopefully I will, uh, I I would say see you guys there, but I won't see you. But hopefully you will hear me there. Talk to you later.